Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, you're listening to uh, Stack Exchange Podcast number 22. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe another foot or so. <laughs> uh, uh, with special guest Paul Begar. And we're, we're still waiting on Jeff, but, um, but he's on vacation. So we may not actually get him. Uh, but, but, but Paul and I will start anyway with, uh, with the, the Stack Exchange Podcast. Um, and uh, um, yeah, so our guest is Paul Begar. Paul, you uh, were a um, a speaker. I guess that's pretty much the first I ever heard of you. Although I'm sure you were yeah. famous before then. Um, uh, you were a so speaker. No, yeah. Uh, at DevDays yeah. in London. And before yeah. that, you were just born. Like you had just been born. Basically, no, no, nothing had happened before then. You, you elevated me to uh, to to world fame. 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 Yeah, there we go. I, 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 on the stage with nine in front of 900 people, Stack Overflow Dev Days London 2009, where you spoke about scripting languages, and you were the hit of the show, I believe, except for John Skeet because he had like, I don't know, sock puppets or something. He had yeah, like a, yeah, a, a, a but you pony. can't beat John Skeet. Yeah, I mean, well, yeah, I mean, if you had brought a sock that you had drawn a puppy face onto, it wouldn't have worked. It only worked because it was Skeet. <laughs> I don't, I don't know. I'm pretty sure it was. Um, uh, and and he talked about time zones or something. And you talked yeah, about yeah, that, that, that stuff's really interesting. <laughs> He's still no, I'm, I'm serious. Like all that localization, you know, shit that just doesn't work. That, yeah. that that's fascinating uh, to somebody. Yeah, uh, yeah. He, I, I saw him tweeting about trying to get um, uh, Muslim dates to work correctly. Oh no, which is impossible because um, the month only changes over when somebody uh, sees the new moon and then reports it to a you know a tribunal which judges that he's to be trusted and then the month flips over and and so if it's a cloudy day in saudi arabia or something then the month just flips <laughs> over the next day and i um, didn't know they had cloudy days in saudi arabia well they're very rare but they have happened so that makes so, it extremely hard to to do correctly and i think they have uh um i think in egypt they have some kind of system like a computerized algorithmical system that they use but the fact that John Skeet is still working on this makes me feel like he really must love this subject. Either that Two years or later. Google is very, very, very cruel. Uh, we'll get him on the podcast. Anyway, uh, you talked about scripting languages then, scripting and you still, yeah. likes, you still love scripting languages. What is your least favorite programming language of all time? Oh, God. Well, yeah. obviously PHP is everyone's right. least favorite scripting language. We don't, we don't want to go down a hatred of uh, you know scripting language uh, vein, but I, I wrote a compiler and a static analyzer and a code generator for PHP. And the, the sort of things that, that normal programmer experiences and dislikes get all multiplied together when you have to write a static analyzer for it. Yeah. Well, static analyzers are always something that is left as an afterthought, especially in dynamic languages. Oh, God, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's terribly difficult to do static analysis, which is of dynamic scripting languages, which was the entire point of the talk. So let me try to define static analysis. It's basically mm -hmm. looking at a program that is not running, looking at the source code of a program. Yeah. Uh, algorithmically, like you run a program that takes as an input another program, yeah. and then you make decisions about whether that program will work or not, or how to make it faster. or. Yeah, yeah. How to make it faster, whether there's security implications, mm -hmm. um, you know, wh whether you just made a stupid mistake, like not initializing a variable, all that kind right. of thing. And this is the point where everybody who has an undergraduate degree in computer science says, well, of course, that's impossible due to the halting problem. <laughs> I, I love that halting problem argument. I, I've solved that at least twice. <laughs> this is, you heard it here today. Paul Begar has solved the halting problem. <laughs> okay. So every time someone comes in and goes, oh, my God, that, that, that's the halting problem, and completely ignoring all the constraints that you've already set up for why it isn't the halting problem. Yeah. Yeah. And so basically the halting problem says that there – it doesn't say that you can't determine things about programs. It it just says there exist programs that you cannot determine yeah. whether or not they will halt. It doesn't exactly. say that exactly. all programs you cannot determine whether or not they will halt, and it doesn't say that – um, uh, it doesn't say that any programs cannot halt with the, yeah. No, but th th there is a more interesting uh, sort of uh, equivalent to the halting problem, which I think is called Rice's theorem or something like that. Um, and it's also called the full employment for compiler writers theorem, <laughs> uh, which is that any anything that you want to analyze or anything that's interesting can't be rigorously analyzed or something like that. <laughs> Anything interesting can't be. Like, no, yeah. no usefulness can come out of PhDs in computer exactly. science. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> well, that's a law more about analysis. Of, There's some truth to that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but but you, sometimes you can. There, I, I've seen, you know what? Oh, yeah. I, there's, a, there's a project, I wish I remembered the name of this, out of Microsoft that 
uh, does actually static analysis of code to determine if it has run conditions uh -huh. or race conditions or basically threading bugs. Is this Thomas Ball's research? Uh, I don't remember. But what I do remember uh -huh. is that, you know, it would make little trees and it would say, you know, these are all the possibilities that this happens before that, that that uh -huh. happens before this. And, um, I, and I think it would try them all by basically running the threads and then holding certain threads certain amounts of time to try to create... Um, to try to create, uh, uh, you know, uh, situations, threat, threading bugs, essentially. Right, race conditions. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody in the uh, chat room says it analyzes drivers, so that makes sense because oh, yeah. drivers are the source of all woes at Microsoft. Essentially, 99% of all Windows crashes and blue screens of all time have been caused by ATI, the company that makes the graphics card, who writes the drivers for their own cards. The, uh, the interesting sort of solution to that stuff is that people have been, you know, people have been applying static analysis, people are applying dynamic analysis, and there's not that many people who have been doing a sort of a hybrid of the two. And I, I, I guess it's a bit much to say mm -hmm. it's the solution. Um, but it, I, I think it'd be very interesting if we saw a lot more of that sort of vein uh, of like combining the two to see, you know, things that aren't supposed to happen at static or, you know, statically happened that you know in in the real world right right um so wait so static analysis so, so how do we get into this um, rat hole oh we said php sucks because it's impossible to analyze statically no no php sucks for many many other reasons <laughs> and yeah. it, it is actually impossible to uh, to analyze statically uh but that didn't stop me getting a phd on that topic <laughs> um the the uh the, uh, the one thing i remember about php is it didn't have a a really rigorous concept of what a reference was or, or, or what the syntax of that should be. It sounded like it was something yeah. that was sort of half-baked. And I noticed well, that, the, that, that, that a lot of PHP was inspired um, by, by VBScript. And VBScript got into a... Yeah, well, I mean, uh, yes, actually, I think it was inspired huh. originally by VB. It was an attempt to make something. I don't remember where I heard that, but, you know, people in the chat room correct me if, if it's not uh, uh, VBScript. Um, uh, but the, but there there was sort of a, a demand for a VBScript like syntax, and VBScript had this very very weird problem that it had evolved from Visual Basic in a strange way. So Visual Basic was um, completely static, completely statically typed. Uh, you knew the type of everything at compile time, and because you knew the type of everything at compile time, um, you were able in Visual Basic to create default uh, properties which was a very, mm -hmm. very, very bad idea. So if you call an object and you try to read from an object and you leave out the properties, so you say like text box and you neglect to say text box dot value, you just say text box, then it would choose the property that was tagged as uh, being default and right, it would let right, you right. read or write that property. Oh, that, that, that's an awful idea. Right. And so now the problem is what happens if you assign to text box? Does that replace the variable text box mm -hmm. with a new thing? Or does that set the default property? And the answer was that you had to use the set keyword <laughs> if you wanted to change the so variable. There's kind of a generic problem here that, that you see in, in scripting languages that people are talking about implicit yeah. type conversions and non-implicit. So like Python really, really does not like its uh, implicit things to happen. And so it says, you know, it will not convert integers to strings for you. And right. PHP says, you know, you gotta, you gotta make it easier for the programmer, you know, screw what types are. And actually, yeah. The PHP guys, you know, the, the guys who actually developed the PHP language have said that they feel that programmers should not have to know what types their variables are. Yeah, well, but I, yeah, I don't even know if that makes sense for a programmer not to know. Now, we had this, the other thing that exactly. happened in, in Visual Basic is that um, we, um, we had this golden rule that you have to be able to say um, X equals A1, where A1 is an Excel cell. And that means that uh -huh. whatever the hell X is, which you haven't defined up until now, uh, you should be able to take the value out of a cell and then put that in a variable. And a cell could hold a number or a string or a date or a, jeez, uh, actually a date was a number formatted funny. But it could hold a number, a string, an error value. Um, what else can you put in a cell? I think there were seven types of things you could put in cells in Excel. Mm -hmm. Uh, a piece of an array, not a whole array, mind you, but only a piece. <laughs> like, oh, wow. Uh, so anyway, so there were different types of things that could be in cells, and you wanted to be able to assign these to variables and have it um, kind of work without having to create a switch statement around the type of the cell, where it's like, if cell contains number, then do this, and if cell contains string, do that. And um, that, uh, uh, that was sort of the requirement, and so they created this new type called variant in Visual Basic for that purpose that was a type that could hold 
anything. It was a, it was a tagged union, essentially. Right, right, right. Uh, meaning uh, a variant. It's, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's strongly typed, but it's a structure that contains two things, some bytes and another sentinel that tells you how to interpret those bytes. Um, so that was what Visual Basic did. And the VB script guy said, let's just make everything a variant because this is scripting. Mm-hmm. And, um, and things got really kind of spooky because I believe in VB script, the problem, to give you an example, was that if you had the syntax A, left banana, 10, right banana, that could mean um, approximately 10 different things. Right, right, right. And you so only it sounds knew. like you're not a fan of this uh, dynamic typing sort of thing. Well, it got it got it got really sticky. Um, so a left banana ten, right banana could be um, it, just in this case, it got really sticky, and it got sticky right, right, because right. that could either mean if a was an object, then that meant call the default property. Uh, sorry, call the default default property. Hope that it returns a function, and if it does, call it with the argument ten. But if it returns, if the default property is an array, then get the tenth element of it. If there is no default property if a is an array, then get the tenth element of it. Or if ten a is either a function pointer or uh, just the name you, of a function. You, you still have this sort of problem in like Python and that kind of thing, where you, you know you, the, everything is polymorphic. So sure. array accesses are, are polymorphic, and you don't know whether you can't know you, until runtime what you're doing. Exactly, you can't know at runtime what you're doing, and you certainly can't know statically in your editor when you want to when you're reading someone else's code. Yeah. That uh, you know what's going to happen when. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. You can you could try to reason about it, but you don't necessitily have, especially depending on how far away the variable was declared. And yeah, exactly. How so much so local. that's kind of what what static analysis is really. You know, find trying to guess. find where this thing can be defined. Yeah. What are all the places where this might have been set to a different? And it's extremely rare, extremely rare for programmers to actually put different types on the same. That's right. Variable. Yeah. It, it's it's very very rare. In um, so I did a little bit of research on that, and I. I, I forget the exact numbers, but it's like 80% of, of variables in PHP have, have exactly one type. And then uh, uh, the, the, re- the remaining... 80%. like uh, So th- because of implicit conversions, uh, oh. there's a lot of variables that can, that can be null or a particular type. Okay. Um, so the, the remaining, you know, up to like 95% are one type or null. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Fair enough. Um... And then some of them are just assigned because they come in from the query string, and they either become a number or a <laughs> string or a no, kind of at runtime based on. The... <laughs> but, but, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like back in the old days when they used to uh, yeah. the, the, the global what were they called magic variables or something like that that automatically took their uh, results from the query string and got you know you could overwrite your own variables with things from the query string. Yeah, magic that uh, was like security bug heaven. Register globals. That was it. That was it. Thank God for the chat room. See, <laughs> there's also um, bees in the chat room, so stay stay away from the chat room. I mean, uh, what, right, what right. chat is complete without bees? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, uh, uh, I'm sorry. I'm just laughing at the bees. Marco, stop it. Somebody ban Marco from the chat room. Has <laughs> nothing to do with bees. Uh, okay. So, but but what I think what happened with PHP, we're going to finally finish this thought, and then we'll move on to the next mm-hmm. thing. Good I idea. think what happened with PHP is that um, a lot of languages are designed by, if it's not a syntax error, if it is a syntax error, it's available to become a feature. So essentially, you get an idea for a language feature. uh, You get some great idea saying, let's let's do, uh, you know, we need... um, Namespaces. uh, Yeah. What do we need? Namespaces. Namespaces. Uh, That that, that was the most recent uh, fuck-up in the PHP world. You need namespaces. So you find something that until now is a syntax error, and you mm-hmm. make and you use that that for your feature, yep. and uh, and sometimes you find something that actually like the, the there aren't enough syntax errors available, so you find something that's really rare, and when it does happen, you can tell it's happening at runtime, and then you kind of overload that. And I think C plus yeah. was full of this stuff, not runtime obviously because it's all compile yeah, time, yeah. Yeah. but it was full of this stuff where it's like yeah I know that looks like a syntax error, but you can actually tell because of some deep dark inner secret that you can discover as to whether this index means the old thing so or the, the new thing. Th- there's a book that's full of that, like the um, the design and implementation of C++. Is that no design and evolution of C++? Uh-huh. Is like a book that Strasserup wrote about how C++ evolved got that way. And, and yeah, exactly got that way. And it's it's really really interesting. And anyone who likes languages and and or likes C++ and wonders about how the fuck it got that way, um, <laughs> it's uh, it, you know it's it's an awesome book for that. So that is actually by Bjarni Strasserup. Uh, it is, yeah. Who is the it's creator a, of C++? Yeah. 
and and, it, it, and still the defender of C plus plus. I guess that's probably the point of this book is to defend. Well, uh, no, it, <laughs> what the everybody book else came out of this uh, this conference called the History of Programming Languages, uh-huh. um, and he he presented in that and then turned it into a book and talked about the the history of C plus um, plus, which is interesting. And 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 what I remember Struestrup's major defense of C++ was was that it was more of a toolkit for building your own programming language mm-hmm. using some subset of C++ than a programming language itself. So it still remains that C++ is the only language where you can do a certain class of systems programming. So huh? like Really? In, yeah, so if you're writing large systems programs like GCC or Firefox or something along those lines. GCC, C- I would totally write GCC in Python. Or Lisp. <laughs> Lisp? You wouldn't. You wouldn't write if you had to write a C, uh, a C or a C plus plus compiler tomorrow. You wouldn't use Lisp. I, I would self-host. You, you always got to self-host. True. That's true. Good point. Good point. Yeah. So if so, you can. Okay. So th- that's not what C plus plus is for. <laughs> Can't be. <laughs> no, I mean, so, so what C plus plus has that C doesn't have is that it has uh, compile time metaprogramming, and C kind of has it with macros, but that that's the really most awkward Most sort of way of doing things yeah yeah, yeah. And, 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 and dangerous yeah and c++ has templates which while not awesome are much much better than c macros so you could theoretically if you were extremely disciplined and you only use c++ features with great care you could actually um do do th- that kind of metaprogramming sort of like list macros in a, in a sense i think not nearly as powerful uh where you're creating you're almost creating your own language for things in a sense Right, like actually, that's what Com did, I suppose, where they used Pro- the probably, templates. Probably not that much. I'd, I'd say it's it's just able to really do sort of you know look at the types statically yeah. at compile time yeah. and specialize on, on that behavior. So right. it's it's not remotely as powerful as as Lispy things. Although it's all template or uh, Turing complete, obviously. Yeah. Frightening, frightening, frightening. Mm-hmm. Uh, enough rope to hang yourself with, I think. Was so. This is our entire hating on PHP. We justified nothing. All we sort of did is we vaguely alluded to the fact that the designers of the language did design by, by uh, finding uh, um, missing things in the syntax tree and just cramming things in there. I, I think that's vaguely true. The yeah. um, I one thing that that I put into my uh, that I put into my thesis about why PHP was uh, or the, talking about PHP was that the community was like this sort of awful, uh, discontent, terrible place to be, and that this is why PHP ended up the way that it is. That it's not to do with like, what? you know. Really? The com- yeah, yeah. When you say the community, you mean the open source developers working on the language? Yeah, or the, the people or the working people on the language. That... Wow. No, 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 not the people who use PHP, who, who I'm sure are perfectly nice. Um, no, they're no, perfectly the... nice, but they were, they were rarely changed, trained in programming. Which doesn't yeah, help. Yeah, very, very true. And yeah. th- th- that's that's people who are working on on JavaScript these days. Yeah, this is really interesting. The most the most uh, well, what was wrong with those people? Uh, just like the, the, this is the word that I'm trying to think of, but just like the, the mailing list was just this community that was vicious and, and aggressive about absolutely everything. You, you know, the, like the worst mailing lists that there have <laughs> ever been, and the way Usenet used to be, and yeah. and. Uh, how you have to protect your communities from, you know, poisonous people. So that, that, that's the word. Yeah, yeah. It is just a poisonous community. Weird. I wonder yeah, if it's uh, a cultural thing having to do with the, uh, I don't want to say anything because I'm Israeli myself. <laughs> uh, um, so I won't. No, no, I, I, I don't think so. I, I don't think it's, it's anything to do with them. Um, I mean, this is specifically Israeli cultural value that says, um, call people out, always say the truth, don't worry about being tactful. Um, it's better to be honest, and that's a cultural value that is, you know, that has a word. There's a word for that in Hebrew. I can't uh-huh. even describe it in English. That, that there's a word that says, "Just tell me straight, tell me to my face the honest truth." That would be better than you trying to cover it up and varnish it. And I don't think that's it. No, I, th- I think it's just that there there is no one to kind of put a leash on people who behave badly. Wow. Okay. That's maybe that's hard to do because of the. I wonder if that's hard to do because of the software they used, or because of the attitudes of the people towards the software that they used. Probably a combination of both. I mean, my, uh, my, my we theory can tie is this into Stack Exchange because in Stack Exchange we do exactly yeah, community yeah. stuff. Yeah. Um, yes. Yeah, so my theory is that uh, the people who really love language design were never really. Uh, you know the kind of people that PHP needed uh, were never really enthused by PHP, and any of them that were were scared off by this poisonous community. Interesting. Um, so, so you know, what's really kind of cool is that the some of the most if you just have to list the most popular languages today, you've got PHP, 
Perl, mm-hmm. uh, JavaScript. No, I don't know. I'm just putting it on my list. JavaScript. Right. Because what I'm doing is I'm listing languages that were designed by people that had no business designing languages. And JavaScript oh, right, now, right. actually, Brendan Eich is now an awesome language designer, but yeah. that was his first job, I think, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, so certainly at the time, he <laughs> yeah. he, he wrote in two weeks and, and Yeah, and it was scheme-like. That. And it, was a, yep. it had a scheme-like it, syntax. It is just scheme, isn't it? Well, it, it had a scheme-like syntax, and he was told for political reasons to make it look like Java and put in some semicolons yeah. and stuff. Yeah. And it has a bunch of mistakes in it, like the business about how lines end uh, yeah. and whether or not yeah, you need and, semicolons. And all this stuff. Yeah. It, it, I mean, it actually has some errors in it that, like, I'm sure he regrets. I mean, he's got he's, he's written about it, all the things that he regrets. Yeah, yeah, but, but, yeah exactly. So uh, why are we stuck using so many languages that were designed by people that had no business designing languages? Like, how did they become – is it – why did so these become it, the most popular like languages? So it, it, it's like all software. You end up, uh, you know, you, you make the first version and it just so happens that a couple of people's first version gets traction and mm-hmm. it's for nothing to do with the, you know, the, the, the intrinsic quality. value of the language. Right. P- p- people who try it out haven't seen the edge cases until they, they get really deep into it. In the case of JavaScript, it was just like this is, you know, it was blessed, right? Mm-hmm. With with the case of PHP, it's just that they, they made it really easy for, for people to use for, to use PHP and the quality of the language didn't really matter. Right, right, right. Um, what are some other? Are there some other really popular languages that are not very well designed? Ma- a lot of macro languages, like in the old days, in my oh, d- in my days, like years shell. ago, it was like, oh yeah, shell. But that was designed yeah, to be bash. typeable. Yeah, yeah, but like any anyone trying trying to write a shell script that goes longer than you know three hundred <laughs> lines is, is just a special place in hell for for that kind of programming. Yeah, but you shouldn't go longer than three hundred lines because it's not gonna. It takes in the old no, no, but old you, Unix, you start that, and it's that, ten lines. I know, but that's already 20 minutes grows, just for the time that it, it takes to start all the processes that you need to create to run a 10-line shell script. Have you ever read a configure script? Uh, no. I, I, well, uh, so these are like 20,000 lines of shell that's automatically generated by a program that's written in like Perl. Yeah. And <laughs> takes into account this, this lang- or these libraries that are written in M4, which is the world's worst macro language. Right, right. A very simple macro language that, that, that was probably written with the original, probably came with the original Unix. <laughs> yeah. If I'm not yeah, mistaken, exactly. it, it and probably all was all very there. good ideas at the time, and then when they all <laughs> combine together, they... So, so that's the problem with all these languages, that they, they, they start nice uh, yeah. for, for simple purposes, and then they outgrow their purpose. And yet you have these other languages that are designed by the world's greatest experts on designing languages, Haskell, OCaml. Mm-hmm. Um, Haskell actually was this committee of computer language geniuses from every university in the world. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and it was performant, and it was both statically typed and dynamically typed, and it had all the latest trendy cool stuff, and it had semicolons or new lines, your choice, and, uh, and it never became very popular at all. So if, if you look at the way Simon Peyton Jones talks about it, he, you know, he's the, I don't know, the, the head of the committee or something like that. Uh, mm-hmm. And he, he says that there, there's two kinds of languages. There's ones that, that start safe and you try to get performance out of it. And then there's ones that start, um, you know, that, that start performance and they try to get safety back. Mm-hmm. And that Haskell chose the former of those two. Mm-hmm. And as a result, it you know a- almost stuck itself down as an educational or as an academic language. And it just so happens that it was the one academic language that escaped from academia, not really through anyone trying to do so. Uh, bar- barely escaped from academia. Bar- well, I mean, yeah, we, we, we're talking about it on the podcast, right? How many academic languages uh, can we say yeah. that about? Yeah. I only know about it because one of my professors was on the committee <laughs> right. to this day. Well, there's um, F-sharp, right, which is from that same yep. school yeah, of thought. For, but then that was, that was uh, designed um, by got, Microsoft to be like, uh, you know, functional languages for the masses, right? Yeah. Got, got to work with C-sharp, got to work with the Visual Studio stack. And it seems to be like, it seems to be roughly OCaml in, in mm-hmm. Visual Studio packaging. Right, right. With access to all the nice .NET libraries and stuff like that, yeah, so it's actually that, that kind of makes useful. A big deal, doesn't it? Yeah, that actually makes it so that you could do productive work theoretically. I don't know if yeah. anybody does. I, I've been writing a bit of Closure recently, which is Lisp on the JVM, and that so, is so. This just, is like a Lisp Closure is like a Lisp like syntax, only it generates Java bytecodes. Yeah, that's right. So it, it, it's not just Lisp like syntax; it is a proper Lisp, mm-hmm. um, and it's it's awesome because. It's you know lispy and functional and elegant the vast majority of the time, and if you really really need it, it's very very simple to you know just call some Java stuff. Right. Um, okay, I want to go. Uh, the the, uh, the chat room says, "What about Dart?" Google oh, Dart. Dart. 
So, I, I haven't looked at the language too closely, although the uh, the, the commenters on, on Hacker News seem to hate it. Uh, <laughs> but like, it, it, they hate everything, right? Yeah. No, yeah. no, no. Pretty much. Oh, come on. Name something they don't rail against. Mm-hmm. Well, it's Bitcoin. a function of commenting they that like they Bitcoin. hate things. Uh, <laughs> not the commenters. It's, it's it's this function of commenting, right, that people only comment on the things that they hate. That they disagree with, right. They only bring yeah, up Yeah, so, so like when you write a blog post or whatever and people on Hacker News, you know, discuss it, 90% of people are like, oh, that was really interesting, and they don't say anything. And then yeah. 10% like hate it with like a vitriol. What uh, – um, so do we know anything about Dart? No, let's. Oh yeah, yeah. So, so they yeah. released a spec or something like that. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's fully that they have a full implementation that's ready to go in Chrome or something like that. But they kind of, uh, they they didn't do themselves any favors with the way that they did it. Mm-hmm. So instead of you know doing it uh, at least roughly out in the open and and they did it the Google way, uh, not roughly the Mozilla way. Right, right, right. That which is and, really strange. I, I when when I saw it, I, it just had all the markings of like an internal Google yeah. research project, like something that would come out of Microsoft research. And that was then some, but, but, and it's cool when something comes out of Microsoft research, but if then the press reports on it as if Microsoft has announced a new windows programming language will be mm-hmm. Omega sharp. But isn't that what, what Google has done? They've said, you know, this is going to be the future language of the web and everyone else has gone, Ooh, we kind of like JavaScript. <laughs> yeah. I, I, uh, I guess I, well, I, I don't really, I don't know if we like JavaScript. We like co- CoffeeScript. Is, is CoffeeScript is lovely, isn't it? <laughs> that's, not a, that's what all the cool kids are using. I was just talking about... Yeah, no, about, it, it just takes away all the unpleasantness of JavaScript and, it, and makes it pretty. It just occurred to me, um, I may be crazy here, but it seems like what all the cool kids are using is so new that there isn't even an O'Reilly book yet, right? Like, everybody's using CoffeeScript, um, right. Socket.io, Backbone, Node... Not even Node.js anymore. Are you talking about the cool kids or yeah. the people who made Trello in your office? Uh, the people that made Trello in my office are very, very right. cool. Right, right. One, one of them even has the tortoise shell glasses and everything. Um, what else uh, What else are the cool kids using? Uh, MongoDB. MongoDB, yeah. Oh, There's there probably we go. A Mongo there we go. Book. But it's amazing that the sort of the out there technology is, is like still kind of broken in 0.1. Yeah, it's, and it's amazing how many people are building like businesses around technology that isn't quite, you know, where, where they're still fixing bugs as they go. Yeah. Well, you maybe, kind maybe, of can. Maybe there's a correlation there. There, You know, I wrote an article a long time ago um, on uh, this blog I used to have, um, and the article is entitled Up the Tata Without a Tutu, and it talks about not using risky technologies. Like, don't take risks mm-hmm. with your technologies because you're already taking enough risks. Like, if, you're ha- if you have a business, yeah. you're taking a huge business risk. There's all kinds of other risks you can take. Um, don't but then just you do some kind of cool kids. Uh, yeah, but that's okay. Screw them. Uh, however, so we built our first product in VB. Um, however, uh, that said, um, that was from an era when you couldn't necessarily fix the bug. If you were using the latest Microsoft technology huh? and they had some horrible bug in there, you were screwed because um, right. you didn't have the source to it. So you couldn't just fix the source. And if you were using, um, and not only that, but your your app, you were shipping it and you were putting it on disks and you were mailing it to people once a year. And so that thing that you mailed to people had to be pretty darn good and pretty robust when it got out in the field. Right, right. right. There's no sort of continuous integration deployment of your of your language runtimes. Yeah. And, so, yeah. so basically and nowadays, it's kind of a Microsoft stack problem as well, right? A little bit. Yeah, they're still doing that where if the stack is never updated. You don't have access to the source code necessarily on the right. thing that's broken. Although Microsoft, basically, I think what I wrote then, and it's still kind of true, is that Microsoft ships very robust stuff. So there's very little chance you'll build something on .NET and it won't work because of a .NET bug. That's, that's right, just, right. You don't hear a lot of that sto- th- those kind of stories. Um, mm-hmm. So the fact that they don't give you the source code is not the end of the world because it's they actually give you working code. So you basically have a choice. You can take broken code with source or working code with that. Well, I think that's a bit of a false dichotomy. Uh, no, it's not a true dichotomy. It's like you have to do one or the other. It either has to, you either have to be able to fix the source oh, or I see, it has I to see. work. <laughs> right, right, right. Those are my two right. options. The, 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 yeah, I, I got you. It would be ideal to have the source and have it actually work. Um, yeah. That would be Emacs. Uh, but uh, mm-hmm. but these crazy new languages like CoffeeScript and stuff like that, you just throw it out there, and if it doesn't quite work, then you know you either hammer it into a working condition, you yeah. get a fix, and, and you roll it out. 
And with CoffeeScript, you tend to find that something's not working. You haven't indented it quite right, which <laughs> is which is the worst kind of problem to have. It's like the make files. It's like make files, right? Oh, it's a it's a. <laughs> I put four spaces in there, and it's supposed to be a tab. At least that that will error. <laughs> um, okay, enough about programming languages. T- uh, tell us what you what you did after then. You started a YC startup. Y yeah, Combinator. yeah. So uh, me and uh, MPG best buds. Um, we, we uh, myself and a friend started uh, this journalism startup that was a terrible idea for uh, for people who weren't interested in journalism. But right. we didn't start it as that. We we started as I, I was very interested in commenting and uh, you know the b- community building and you know kind of making ha- how all these newspapers had terrible sort of communities around them and and you know you could fix that with a combination of, of better technology and better you know community policing. Mm-hmm. And uh, and unfortunately, you know, newspapers didn't have any money, so we kind of pivoted into be the future of journalism, which is the worst idea in the world, and, and something that you want to stay the hell away from. <laughs> okay, future of journalism. I'll make a note of that. Yeah, yeah. Do not if do your a next, future of journalism business. If if your business involves journalism, avoid. <laughs> I I think uh, people have been saying that about education too. Lately. Yeah, I, I yeah, very much so. Uh, another business that seems like big business, but is actually utterly impoverished. Yeah, yeah. Um. So, so what was News Tilt? It was going to be a journalism thing, and it was the worst idea ever. Why, why was it so bad? What were all the? You actually wrote a very good blog post about that, which um, people will read uh, in the show notes. Show notes. Oh, cool, cool. Yeah, that that was uh, eight thousand words about why uh, <laughs> why I should never have been doing it in the first place. But like, th- th- there was a lot of reasons that that it kind of failed. Most of them. Uh, were sort of, uh, you know, we could have overcome in some way or we could have changed what we were doing in a certain way. But uh, me and my co-founder actually were kind of having issues, which, which stopped that from, from working all that well. So and the, the, the heart of it was mommy and daddy weren't speaking. Yeah, yeah, very, very much so. Um, and the rest of things could, you know, the, 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 there was tons and tons of other problems. Um, but y- y- you can't really solve those problems when mommy and daddy aren't speaking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you were, but but were you like living together? I mean, was this uh, were you in different cities? Uh, how did this? How could so, you... so so initially, we, we were we were living together. We moved to moved to Mountain View to do Y Combinator, and right. then did that for three months. And uh, in in the middle of that, we had we had our, our major pivot to to start working on the future of journalism, and then we moved out of America, moved out of Silicon Valley, uh, back. I went back to Dublin. He went back to Cambridge, uh-huh. and um, and well, I mean, th- there's a problem as well, right? We yeah. moved out of Silicon Valley. Uh, no, I mean, I personally could not care less about it. I do not give two hoots about Silicon Valley, but you were in different I, cities. I don't know. Like, I, 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 I used to, uh, you know, I used to feel that, oh, you can do startups anywhere. But actually, yeah. from having been mm-hmm. in Silicon Valley, uh, and I know that, that you're a big fan of New York and that kind of thing, but being in Silicon Valley makes a big difference for young startups. Uh, sometimes. Sometimes positive, sometimes negative. Well, I can, We can talk about that the, for a while. Let's talk about yeah. that. All right. All right. Well... well there's so just, forget New York. New York is a false is a red herring because New York does have a lot of the same infrastructure as Silicon Valley does. Less less of it definitely, okay. um, but it has that infrastructure. It's not, not like you can't meet VCs or go to you know coffee shops and over here and, yeah, and bump yeah. into people. Well, okay, so Ireland doesn't have this sort of thing. It, it has the, the occasional VC, right. you know, it has the occasional startup, but any of those startups that really want to succeed. Uh, you know, you you got to get the hell out of there, and it's it's unfortunate, but yeah. you you have to move to to Northern California. Um, it doesn't it, it doesn't have the infrastructure of like angels and advisors like the YC yeah. slash angel yeah, world. Exactly. Yeah, and it, it doesn't have uh, serendipity. That, that's what you get from Silicon Valley. You but go to see, a party. This is the trouble. This serendipity is just bumping into people and then doing the same startup they just did. No, it's it's bumping into people, and they know the guy who knows the guy who you really need to talk to right now. Okay. So that there was there was the amount of times that you know I needed something, and then I was talking to someone at a party, and he knew a guy, and that guy didn't actually help, but he knew the guy, and and so on. Ah. Uh, it solves so many problems. Hmm. Okay. It's it's probably yeah. It's it's hard to tell. I think for every time there's a Silicon Valley company that I feel like they are like deep in crazy Silicon Valley group thing. Like, <laughs> right, right, like right. Like they, they, they all, there's no short to that. They all sort of believe the same thing at exactly the same time. Yeah, uh, yeah. And, there's uh, all these sort of fanboys. There's right ways to do it and wrong ways to do it, though. If you're taking advantage of the serendipity that Paul was talking about, where yeah. it's like, oh, this guy is able mm-hmm. to help me, that's the proper way to do like the being embedded in the middle of Silicon Valley. 
The problem is that too many people are doing like the, oh my god, I'm going to do, you know, what I call like four square for squirrels. Four square for squirrels. So it's just like the the, the (laughs) millionth iteration on this successful company. (laughs) And so now the worst possible combination is, yeah, when you're sitting in the middle of nowhere, like in the middle of Ireland without any support and you're trying to do four square for squirrels. squirrels. It's another thing if you're sitting in the middle of Ireland, though, and like trying to build a real business that's, you know, based on a need that that you've seen from your life there. Right, right. Yeah, Um, yeah. Yeah, there like you actually the, might be able to pull it off. But somebody, there, there is the advantage to being able to be at a party and be like, yeah, you know, I, I need, like, I was trying to talk to this company to do a partnership deal or something or, you know, get exposure to, stuff, like, an API of theirs that's private. And the guy's like, oh, yeah, my friend's the VP of engineering there. Let me connect yeah, you. Exactly. Me. So you, exactly. you meet people faster. And stuff. I do actually feel like um, I, I'm, I'm not a good example at all because, um, for one, I know more people in Silicon Valley and than you're I know famous. in New York. You can email anyone in your Joel's full scheme. Yeah, all right, forget it. So I don't yeah, count. Yeah. But the truth is, every once in a while, you see a company like 37 Signals that does pretty well going against mm-hmm. the grain of Silicon Valley. And if they had just sort of followed everybody else down that path, they would have been you know, yet another company. But they actually managed to sort of zig where people were zagging, Yeah. I guess. Yeah, absolutely. There's also the cultural differences. Like, I haven't yet seen... What's kind of weird is that there are still no decent startups out of India, and they, they there will be, and and they're going to be interesting because they're going to actually understand uh, an an audience and a market that's so radically different than the Northern California market, right? Like yeah. U- Uber Cab would never come out of <laughs> would never come out of uh, uh, India, but you know I, maybe I presume a- that there are loads of startups there, and they're they're servicing India's. You know, startup needs. The, no, the startups that are in India are generally like, let's do outsourcing for American back office operations right, or right, yeah. payment processing. Uh, there, there are very few that actually have product ideas and and, and go run with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they exist, and uh, but they're but they're they're pretty rare. Uh, but they have this sort of nice ability to actually take the good coders that they have over there, um, and and combine them with like actually intuition into a gigantic marketplace that nobody can figure out in Silicon Valley because they're too busy making ways to pay 30% more for a cab mm-hmm. ride to the airport. Uh, where, where was I going with that? Okay, I have a question for you now, honestly. You guys gave right. up, uh, well, actually, you gave up a little early, but you're, you're, you were in YC before the whole Yuri Milner, here's an extra, yeah. what was it, 150000 150000 yeah. Yeah. Um, so, okay, what would have happened if you had been in the round if you had gotten the 150000 so I think what probably have happened is that we would have changed what we were doing completely. Um, the, so you would have taken the money. Yeah. We, well, we would have had the money at that point. Yeah. You know, we, we would have taken it on like day one. Sure. And um, uh, and and now, so now you're basically operating with you. You raised a total of let's say fifty thousand or something. Uh, so yeah, we, we raised fifty, and then YC gave us like seventeen. So we would have had like j- just over two hundred. Yeah, you would have had enough money to. You might have hired somebody. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> to, yeah, we definitely have hired someone. So, so what might have <laughs> happened could is, have been to to, to basically uh, to, for, for you every time you needed to talk to your co-founder, that person's job would be to convey <laughs> the messages. So wh- wh- tell wh- her there's too much salt in the brisket. Sorry, that's what it was like to go to. You know, I had this friend with grandparents and you would go over to their house and they weren't speaking they were they'd been married for 90 years and they would shout at each other and they would invite people over to the dinner table just so that they could yell at each other through the guest um so i think what would probably have happened is maybe our first uh iteration might have succeeded a bit more uh, we might have been able to hire like sales guys to make that work, or the I, I know it's kind of hard to predict this sort of thing. We we might just have done something completely different, or we might have like you know parted ways, and one of us would have done something different. Yeah, that that, that sort of thing. Because I'm sort of playing around with this hypothesis, which may be crazy, but my uh-huh. hypothesis is that startups these days have it too easy, and they don't. <laughs> In fail my enough. day, we have to raise <laughs> our own money. Yeah, well, no, it's true, and that's why you get all these really crappy ideas. Uh, it's not just that; it's that you don't stop with a crappy idea; you keep going. Yeah, yeah. I, and, I mean, definitely. Like we, we had a we had a r- roughly crappy idea, yeah. um, and if we had that money, we would have kept going. There, there, there would have been right. no two ways about it. Like right. you, there would have been no reason to solve your problems because you wouldn't have had them. <laughs> well, you, you would have had to solve them eventually. You know, like but much it's later, not like yeah. we could have hired five guys because right. we would have run out of money in like four months or something. Yeah, f- fair enough. I see. The trouble is that the, that that these days it's not just the Yuri Milner money. It's that it's very hard to go to to demo coming out of Techstars mm-hmm. and Y Combinator and not raise a million dollars. 
Right, right, right. It's like you actually you have can't to be. instantly raise money coming out of Y Combinator, like shut your company down right now, yeah. because that just means you're having an awful idea. Yeah, maybe. Um, did they, I don't know, how much, what percentage of Y Combinator companies raise money? Oh, it's like 95% or yeah. something. I, I saw some stats about it. Well, like, well, people with, raise with significant money. With the demo money. days, you literally have investors standing outside the exit to YC waving checks at them. Like, there they, are they, they of, do, like, and on, on my of, demo day, they, they had to come by and, like, shoo off the investors who weren't invited but who came anyway. Yeah. And, yeah. The, and yeah. the worst part is, like, look, you know, well, Bronco is a bad example because he gives 150 to everyone. But these sophisticated angels, yeah, they're not going to invest in these crappy companies. But there's, for every, like, good sophisticated angel like that, there's five unsophisticated angels who are like, oh, well, they went through Y Combinator, so they must be a good company, so I'll give them $50,000. Right, right, right. So, but then, and that's not a bad sort of asset test. Like, if, uh, if, you can, if you don't have the ability to tell whether something is good or not, take someone else's opinion first. No, if you don't have the opinion to tell or not, you shouldn't be investing in something like, like... I mean, tell that put, to, like, all money the VCs in, a, put, in the entire world. Well, no, but yeah, put your money in a mutual fund. You should not be doing seed stage startup investing right. if you do not have the judgment ability to judge startups. So, well, um, no, I think it's more complicated that anyway. that. it, it, it is very complicated, but what, what I do see happening quite a lot, though, is that um, the people raise the easy $750,000 from a team uh -huh. of 10 angels that weren't paying attention and don't yeah. care and expect to lose all their money. And then, the, indeed, the angels lose all their money. But this poor startup yeah. goes on for two years when it probably should have stopped, and, and they don't make, like, you know, kind of crucial decisions because they feel like they have a bunch of buffer. So I, I, I think that you're kind of predicating a lot of this on, on the idea that there's, you know, startups that are coming out that have stupid ideas that, that nobody wants and, and that kind of thing. And, you know, no one mm. is saying they don't exist. They, they definitely exist. But I, I think that the, uh, the model that those investors are using is that there are companies out there that you should just give them money to because they're going to be fucking awesome and and the cost of that is that you have to give the, money yeah, to all exactly. companies yeah. and, and there's a couple yeah there's a bit of collateral damage and and who cares sure. if those guys take our money and and spend five years doing nothing with it yeah so it's basically a uh it's a combination of uh what's it called in investing where you um you have a, a diversity of things that you've invested mm -hmm. in and hopefully one yeah, of them so, will come out well so the, 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 the reason that it came about is that people aren't looking for like a 5x return or, or a 10x return. They're looking for a 1,000x return. And whether or not they make money for their, you know, for, for the investors to their funds uh, is whether or not they find the next Google or the next Twitter. Right. And so it really doesn't matter throwing 25 grand here and 100 grand there. You know, they're, they're working out of pots of hundreds of millions hoping to find uh, the next big Twitter which will right. you know, pay, make for them them. pay for all of them. Pay, yeah, pay for yeah. everything, you know, a hundred times over. I still feel like these companies, if they, if they, uh, uh, sometimes what happens is like, th uh, there's like three co-founders and only one of them is any good. <laughs> and, and, and if they ran out of money, two of them, the, the not so good ones might've gone and gotten a job. <laughs> like they would. Get, so, yeah. so with the, with the Y Combinator people that I've met, you know, yeah. certainly a few of them get in, but the amount of the amount of talent that you actually see, you know, the 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 stereotype that you described there isn't what I perceived from my combinator at all. They're, they're all really talented. So I mean, it's okay. I, I meet those guys in the pub in the valley, sure. and they're like, "Oh my god, I'm making Facebook for dogs," and you know, you roll your <laughs> eyes and you move on. Yeah. But you know, the, I I don't know if they're the same companies that are being invested a million into. Maybe not. Maybe okay. Cool. So News Tilt, uh, you, you shut down. You, you, you yep. did not get along with your co-founder. You were doing the wrong thing. And you didn't yep. care about journalism, as, as you wrote in your article. Yep. You yep. could not exactly. care less. And that is a real problem because, uh, as Steve Jobs said, the only thing that keeps you friggin' going is knowing, is, you know, loving yeah, what you do. Yeah, very much so, yeah. Yeah, which is what we're yeah, all so about. I, I, need, I, I need to work on compiler stuff. That, that's my calling in life, I think. Interesting. So what are you doing now? So, the, um, so actually, for the last few weeks, I, I've been working with a friend who has – uh, a startup that I want to pimp, uh, CircleCI.com, okay. uh, which is a continuous integration startup. Try it uh, out, folks. CircleCI.com. Yeah, and that is uh, th that is fantastically interesting in in the sense of like what you can do with cool compiler stuff to make people's lives better and more productive. What but is it? Developed uh, lives. So That's it, it's it's 
um, so you know the when people have continuous integration or like you know build system build to the, the daily builds or, or whatever you called it back in the um uh back in the joel the joel test. Uh, test. a daily build yeah. was like that was like pretty good wow we built once a day we managed to get the source code stable enough yeah. to build once a day but nowadays so, so these, these days everyone wants you know every, every single build must uh, must work yeah um and the and you have better version control than you, you did get... in those days correct because oh, you yeah. have you have distributed version control so you got lots of yeah. versions so there's always something that can build yeah so so what uh circle is doing is they're uh they're trying to make this as fast and as awesome as humanly possible. So you know, as as easy to use, uh, and uh, just b basically do, I guess what Heroku did for hosting to continuous integration. Mm -hmm. uh, and there are tons of fantastic compiler problems for for people working there behind the scenes. So there's like uh, you know all, all sorts of dependency analyses and and trying to determine okay, you wrote you know your your chain set is these five lines of python how many tests can we statically determine we actually need to run to be able to tell you that this code is perfect and we can push it to your uh, to your website mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and if you can do that in two minutes instead of an hour and a half that makes a big difference to to developers lives oh amazingly yes getting yeah. everything is about getting the short redevelop print loop or whatever yeah. you call it to make yeah, a change exactly. test it yeah um, so the, 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 that's something I've been helping out with the, the last while. That it's it's pretty interesting. CircleCI.com. I just want to pimp them. Cool. But Check the, that uh, that's actually sort of interesting. You could see if you talk to anybody that's developed Android and iPhone, uh -huh. and, um, both Android uh, apps and iPhone apps, and you ask them to compare and contrast basically the tool sets and the compilers yeah. that are available and stuff like that. What 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 the first thing they always tell you is because there's a native iPhone. Uh, not an emulator, but an actual native iPhone app that you can run on a Mac that is natively running your code. Um, ah. It's so much faster to develop than it is for Android, because on Android, you're constantly having to download it to a device yeah. every time you compile. Yeah. And, and you've got this weird cross-compilation toolkit. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so, uh, so basically, this is what the Android developers basically complain about that the iPhone developers don't is that their their whole coding cycle, circle to circle of coding, basically how long it takes me to make a change and then see it mm -hmm. uh, realistically is is so much slower that it's kind of like going yeah. back to punch cards. You, you see it as well in the um, uh, in the gaming wars between mm -hmm. Xbox and, and PS3. Sony had this or has this you know horrific development cycle or, or development tools and microsoft spent you know spent all its time uh chipping away at sony's lead by making their development tools absolutely awesome it's exactly the same as like you know you're in visual studio you click deploy or something like that and now it's running on the next box and sony has like this you know buggy uh, GCC Porsche tool chain thing that, and you have to develop for like eight cores on this thing, and there's no help at all. And they just like squandered this giant lead they had with the PS2 by you know Microsoft's Not clever about the developers. Yeah, developers, yeah. developers, developers, developers. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, it couldn't be more right. Um, we are almost out of time, and I wanted to—I didn't have time to—but I wanted to talk to you about your um, the dev days, which did not happen. Uh, oh yeah. And you were going to give a talk in San Francisco. Um, which would have been right. Yes, yeah, so just about today. Today or tomorrow? Tomorrow. But uh, um, just just tell the people what it would have been about and where they can find your slides. So I, I didn't actually make the slides uh, oh. because I didn't make the talk. Uh, oh, but the the thing that was that was that I was going to talk about uh, is kind of a message that that I do want to get out there, which is that working on compilers is really really easy, and yeah. people have huh. this idea that it's like something only wizards can do, but. Doing, you know, writing some part of a compiler is exactly the same as manipulating uh, a, a DOM using JavaScript. It's it's exactly the same concept. You have this tree that represents a language, and you're fiddling with it. Right. Uh, and if you so if well, you, you have can to write, know about it, you have to somebody has to show you what a parser and a lexer are, and no, how to make so, a lexer yeah, and how I to mean, make a parser. It, it, this is Which what is kills compiler development, right? That that yeah. people start. I'm writing a compiler. Step one, I will write a parser. If you want to work in compilers, never go near parsers you mean they're, you should just they're, use they're it. the devil spawn you should just use, use yak and bison and whatever no not not even that you know you use clang use someone's existing parser uh. you know if, if you're writing something for for javascript you know there there are javascript parsers out there you know don't touch a parser start i don't think straight those away. are not start start on the appsex syntax tree essentially but that's because exactly. you think that's start what's interesting uh yeah i mean if but 
I, I question how many people are, you know, try to write compilers so that they could learn about parsing. I, I, um, I, true, fair enough. Like they're they're trying to do the interesting stuff. That said, yeah. if you're trying to make up a language, well, I, well if you're I, trying to make a language, yeah, yeah. I feel most of the programmers that I talk to who just cannot cannot even comprehend what a compiler does and are afraid of it, as uh -huh. soon as you break it down to the do the traditional steps of uh, lex, parse, syntax, create a syntax tree, you know, walk the syntax tree, and then maybe people optimization at the end, uh, you know, code gen, and then optimization. And if you just actually show them those steps, they'll realize that they know how to do every single one of those, and they're, they're not that well, hard. I, I think if you, if instead of focusing on, you know, th these are the steps of a compiler, you instead look at, you know, how, how, you know, actual compilers are done these days. So, like, if you mm -hmm. look at a Clang or, or LLVM or something like that, it's something that has a parser at the front and, and code generation at the, at the end. And in the middle, there, there's there's all these cool optimization steps and, and things you can experiment on and do cool static analysis with. And that's exactly as simple as, as manipulating a DOM. You're, you're just taking the language representation... Yep twiddling it a bit, looking at it, and you don't need to learn about people optimizations. You don't need to read the Dragon right, Book, which right. also I think is a terrible book. <laughs> <laughs> you can just pick your, your one stage. All right, uh, we are um, completely out of time. Uh, Paul, thanks for being with us. Um, well, thanks for having me. They, they can find you. We can find you, let's see, you're Paul Bigar, B-I-G-G-A-R on the Twitters. Uh, uh, yep, and .com. Yep, and if you if you Google that, you find all kinds of useful stuff. And circleci.com, uh, com. which the chat room is trying valiantly to bring down right now as they speak. Oh, excellent. And, um, See how uh, Heroku does for us. Yeah, it's, uh, it's running on Heroku. So, so uh, Paul was telling me earlier to the people in the chat room, it, it has to spin up an instance uh, the minute you go to that URL. So that's why it's a little slow. Um, Things that need work. Yep, and um, for all, all the other links to all the other stuff that we've mentioned, we've mentioned all kinds of useful things. There's a book in there, and there's a great blog you wrote about shutting down News Tilt. Um, the links yep. will be in the show notes at blog.stackexchange.com. Uh, next week, wait, I wrote this down. Next week, we have some kind of game theme, right? Alex, extra oh, credit. It's the, it's the guys from the from uh, extra credit. Do we know like, names? Anything? Extra? It's, uh, you know what extra credit is, right? Everybody knows extra credit. It's uh, video games stuff on the yeah, it's, Penny Arcade. Uh, it's James Port now. Yeah. Thanks. Um, and uh, we'll see you all next week. Bye.